Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, last but certainly not least, and really why we're here today in terms of how we're going to spend our time this hour, is I want to give a formal introduction for our guest co-host today. You all know that I do this every week because I want you all to know the accolades, the credentials, the experiences that our guest co-host show up to the conversation with, and then I'm going to invite her to uh, introduce herself and share a little bit more. Tara Robertson is a leadership coach and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. She is an intersectional feminist who uses data and research to advocate for equality and inclusion. She brings nearly 15 years experience leading change in open source technology, communities, and corporate spaces, including three years leading diversity and inclusion at Mozilla. As a consultant, she partners with corporate leaders to drive systemic change, and as a leadership coach, she serves women of color in corporate careers to go from underestimated and overworked to unapologetic and wildly successful. Her work has been included in Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and many other publications. And so, Vodcast community, you know what to do. I want you to take to the chat. Um, I want you to find those emojis, those those reactions, and help me to welcome our guest co-host today, Tara Robinson. Let her know that we're so grateful and appreciative for her spending time with us on this day. And so I have stopped sharing my screen. And Tara, I'm so grateful that you said yes to our invitation. And I just want to bring you into the conversation so people can hear more about you. And I always start by asking our guest co-host to spend just a little bit of time sharing with us a little bit of information about you that we would not know from reading your bio or from looking at your LinkedIn profile. So welcome, Tara. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dr. White. Um, I'm calling in today from Vancouver, Canada, which is the unceded traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Um, I see a couple of people here from Vancouver. Thank you for joining. Um, I live here with my wife and our dog, who's named Kinoko, which is Japanese for mushroom because he's a fun guy. <laughs> and I'm a mixed race, queer woman. Um, my mom's Japanese Canadian and my dad's white of Scottish and Irish ancestry and identify as a woman of color and women of color are the center of my universe. I love that. Mine too. So thank you so much for being here. I love the fact that you shared some of your intersecting identities because I think that's always important um, because just allows for us to have um, additional insight as people are sharing their experiences and how in which they like to show up. So thank you so very much for that. So Tara, we have a lot that I know we want to talk about that really relates to your path and the work that you do. But one of the things that I know this community really values, and I do as well, is that when big news has entered into the media, you know, for the week, that especially relevant to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, it just feels appropriate for us to acknowledge it. Not to say that we have all the answers, we've investigated all the details about it, but- There's a just lot going some, on. Exactly, but just for some reactions. And there's a lot going on this week. I mean, I think about the Target story, I think about Uber. And so I just want us to spend just a little bit of time um, just kind of reflecting. And um, and so in case this community is not familiar, maybe you've been you know away this week and you have been paying attention <laughs> Um, then I want us to place um, the link to, let's start maybe with the Uber, the Uber conversation. So let's place that link. I'm going to ask my team to place a link to the CNN um, Uber chief diversity officer story. That way you can familiarize yourself if you aren't aware. But um, I will I will summarize this the best as I can um, very succinctly. But the chief diversity officer, the lead for DEI of Uber, um, was a part of planning and executing um, this event that um, was entitled something along the lines of "Don't Call Me Karen" or "Stop Calling Me Karen." You know, you'll you'll see the the precise labeling of this gathering into in the article, and it was um, very offensive to a lot of the the black and brown people within the organization, and um, created a lot of outcries and uproar and. Um, Uber decided to place the chief diversity officer on a leave of absence. And so 
I have my thoughts, um, Tara, and I have not fully researched the whole story because it seems like it's still developing. But I would love to just talk about maybe some of the curiosities you and I both are um, are holding around this story. So I want to invite you to share your thoughts first. I mean, I have so many questions. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. I like I'm uh, my first reaction was like, what's going on here? And then I was like, wait a minute. Like, I don't I have so many questions. Like, first, are the black and brown staff are okay? And it's one thing to, you know, put someone on administrative leave. Um, but like if there was harm caused, what kind of care and repair is there? Um I am curious about the context and the content of that program. Like, I, I, I don't, I haven't really been following Uber lately. I don't know what's going on internally, but just thinking about the overall context in tech right now, there's a lot of layoffs happening. There's a lot of like retraction on DEI, both people being riffed who work in, work in this area, budgets being shrunk, commitments and accountability sort of being forgotten. And then like the other thing that I'm wondering about is the CDO is not new to this. Um, she's a very experienced leader. And I've seen yeah. white leaders who are not CDOs make much bigger mistakes and not be sort of put on administrative leave. Like, so yeah. is this person being held to another standard? What actually happens? And the people who are most impacted, like what, what kind of care and repair is there for them? Yeah, I'm curious yeah. what you're curious about. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm tracking with you. Some of your curiosities are also my curiosities. And so I'll, I'll name those first where there's synergy. So first and foremost, yes, my heart goes out to the black and brown colleagues who um, were very much negatively impacted by this experience. I'm curious about the level of support that's being provided to them right now. My mind immediately always goes to the most marginalized. And so that that's where I went to. What how are they being supported? Um, and then the second thing that aligns with what you shared is also the point of the curiosities around the leave of absence. Is, is that normal protocol for all, you know, executives? Or is this something that's being done in isolation in this situation? You know, because I, I often am really concerned about how the DEI work within an organization is viewed and, and valued. Is it seen just as significant as maybe some of those other executive roles. And my hope is that there's history and a pattern where Uber could confirm that the way in which this was handled in terms of, you know, the steps to require a leave of absence was something that is equitably done across the board. I don't know that, but that's a curiosity for me. The thing that I will say is my understanding of this story is that the individuals who were a part of this panel were um, also some other women executives at the C-suite level. And so I'm curious about if they were questioned around their judgment, because here's the thing, oftentimes we try to relegate this work just to one singular person, the person who carries the title, chief diversity officer, chief diversity leader, whatever the case may be. But we know this work belongs to everyone, especially those individuals who are also in positions of leadership. And so my question is, what other conversations are happening to the individuals that agreed, that are in leadership roles, that agreed to be on the panel to share also their perspective and the context that I'm hearing was quite offensive and, and, and sensitive to the Black and Brown colleagues. And so, you know, again, I think that there's some parallel between what's coming up for you and what's coming up for me. So I'm, uh, we'll have to keep watching it and see um, how this all plays out. Um, so let's, shall we move to Target now? Target's also under the fire as well. Now, I'll, admittedly, this is one that I am less familiar with, um, but I, I have been picking up small pieces. And let me just say this before I'll, I'll, I'll ask that you share um, your understanding of the Target situation and, and your thoughts and perspective. I often am asked about who are those brands that you feel like do this work of DEI really, really well? And my response typically is, I don't know if I can really point to like, a few singular brands that they do all of the DEI work well. That's just impossible. They may do a lot of things well relevant to DEI, 
Um, but everything, well, mm -mm, there's not like a model organization. I rather like to encourage people to, as they're benchmarking, find what different organizations are doing really well and then try to modify that to fit your organization where appropriate. Um, and but I have to I share that because Target has been one that I will say. I think you need to watch. I think that they are doing a lot of things well, and I could point to many examples. And so I was surprised that this misstep um, was has has blown up, and, and rightfully so. Lots of concerns on both ends. And so, um, Tara, if you don't mind, can you give us just a quick kind of synopsis of your understanding of the Target situation, and then your perspective? So we've seen Target do this like around Pride stuff. Um, around Black History Month, working with different kind of identity communities to like front and center merchandise or like goods from like black owned businesses, queer owned businesses, stuff with queer slogans on them. The stuff that they had in their, like there was clothing, there was home decor items, there was like yeah. some cute paper plates. There was some really cute stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in some of the stores, there was backlash um, where um, retail staff felt unsafe and were threatened by the yeah. public who don't think that kind of stuff should be in Target. So Target, yeah. my understanding, again, not super deep on this one either, but remove the stuff from some of their stores yeah. and put it in the back of their some of their stores. Yeah. And that is disappointing. Um, in the CNN article, they talk about like, do we either have it? And have our staff be unsafe or remove it and like have retail staff feel safer like i think first of all retail staff do a lot for not a lot of money um, mm, and to mm -hmm. ask anyone to be unsafe at work is not reasonable but that dichotomy of either we keep it and our staff are unsafe or we remove and the communities that like or all or nothing like it, it's not that there's always more than two yeah. options and I think this is another example where a company needs to do their internal work before they start taking an external stance. Yeah. Um, and I thought Target has done some really good things and this does feel like a misstep. Um, yeah. And yeah. we're in times that are really, the politics, laws, and what people are doing and how they feel they can behave in public is really changing. So yeah, I don't know, what do you think? So I, I'm one of those, Tara, that I believe in the both and. I believe in holding the middle. I believe that there's a lot of value in paying attention to, to, to the nuanced stuff, right? And I don't, I, I would feel remiss if I did not name the complexity of this situation with Target. I say that, and I use the word deliberately complexity, because I realize from what has been shared through the CNN articles and other sources that prior to this, the CEO was very vocal about the pride that the organization had and really supporting the LGBTQIA plus community, right? And um, and they felt um, a sense of, of leadership around being pretty progressive and how in which they were showing up to support that community. And when I read that part of the reason that they pulled back was because of the safety of their employees, even though the optics of that can send one message, I think that that's where the nuance comes in, you know? And so I am I am very much reserving judgment until I get some additional, um, you know, intel, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that having a sense of pride and support for a community, but then also seeing how those who don't have that pride and that sense of support for that community is creating now harm, it's harm on both ends, agreeable, but creating harm for their employees who they are responsible for while they're on the clock. That's a tough place to be. And so I am I'm really interested to see again how this is going to unfold and how they will navigate um, this really, this really, this really delicate situation. Yeah. I predict so we're going into Pride season and yeah. we saw it also with the LA Dodgers. They invited the sisters yes. of perpetual indulgence. Who are like a long-standing, super gay, super queer, like amazing group of like human rights activists and philanthropists. They've raised a ton of money for AIDS. Yeah. Um, they've raised like they've done a ton of good work feeding communities. Like they're really amazing. So the Dodgers invited them 
there was a right-wing backlash, they disinvited them, then there was a queer backlash, and then they invited them again. So I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. And companies really need to center on what their values are. Yes. And leaders need to be prepared to take a stand. So it's all good to be like, I'm inclusive when it's when things are good and easy. But it's another thing to take a stand and stand there and have those conversations and really hold your ground when things get complicated and messy. Get tough. And yeah. Is that's this your position? What leadership really looks like. Yeah. Absolutely. Is this your leadership position? at all times or only when you're not met with resistance and confrontation and conflict, right? That is so important to answer. So I love the fact that what you brought to this conversation is the need for leaders and organizations to be really, really, really uh, attuned to what are your values. And, and that needs to stick. There needs to be some endurance factor, even if even if once you're met with maybe some other challenges that could feel um, risky, right? So um, I, and it's I like you shame. have our backs only when you're making yeah. money off of us when we're yeah. when we're you're like high paying customers or we're we're your consistent customers like do you have our backs all of the months of the year do you have our backs even when we're not spending money like for me yeah. that like that that's what it's about yeah no absolutely a really valid point and I thought it was interesting that at least the CNN article it kind of led with the amount of, of money I think it was was it nine million nine bill what was it it was a really astronomical number I think it's in the article but um they led with the the um the impact to the the revenue right and and some people are of the persuasion that mm, well what about the people that are harmed? You know, how is it that now this storyline is is focused, is giving more amplification um, around the dollars, the, the the revenue that, you know, um, Target has lost? And so, again, lots of perspectives and opinions will be interesting to continue to watch um, on into the future weeks. And so it's, Ooh, yeah. Can I just connect two dots? So yes, in both you can. of those examples, um, who, are, who are the communities that are, are most marginalized? what harm was caused and how do we center them? Like that that lens on both of those news articles, like you kind of can't go wrong. <laughs> Who's most marginalized and, and who we're centering? Yes. One person who carries the weight of this, it's like, well, that actually didn't solve the harm. And that yeah. doesn't help us as a, as a signpost to move through these messy times. Like, yeah. Yeah, like some, I also heard some commentary where folks were saying, I don't know why they didn't prepare for this on the front end by, you know, maybe um, beefing up some of these security measures or, I mean, whatever the case may be, you know. Um, and so, again, I think that it's 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 clear we don't know what we don't know. Maybe there were some conversations, maybe the individuals that were just totally against what Target was doing and some of the displays that they had their own agenda. We don't know. But um yeah, I am. I'm really, I'm really interested to see um, how leadership will prevail um, from this situation. Um, so, Tara, it's Mental Health Month, um, and lots of conversations around that. Um, how have you this month really engaged in either dialogue, conversations, or other activities to make sure that um, a, a healthy mental state was a part of what you are centering for yourself? Gosh, if if I'm gonna admit, like this month there hasn't been anything special for me. Um, a, a coach who I really admire is Sasha Thompson, and every Friday she she puts on LinkedIn her Fill Your Cup Fridays. Yeah. And I think for yeah, those of us her. who do this work, it's it's not about again doing a special thing during Mental Health Month. It's about developing a regular practice and in community. Like when I see her um be like how are you filling your cup today like it always makes me like kind of step back and be like how am I so I think when we do that in public and do that in community we start to develop like practices and ways of being that um sustain us through this work because it's not we're not going to be done this year or next year of course of course yeah so I have been I have been quite vocal of late about mental health, not only because it's the month where I think that it's appropriate for us to even amp up how in which we are socializing to help break the stigma, but it's something that's very live and present for me in my life. And so uh, I asked that question because I am I'm coming from a place of of listening and learning as I continue to kind of navigate and understand all the tools and the strategies because um, yeah, this is this is not 
um, no one is exonerated from reaching a place, you know, in life to where you need to have um, some some access to ways in which you can ensure that your mental health is is at a place that helps you to to, to thrive, not survive, but to thrive. And so I think it's critically important. And I wanted to just to make sure I brought that to the conversation. Okay. Can I also name one other thing here? Like, there was a lot going on in the news, and this week was also the three-year, like, anniversary yes, of George Floyd's Floyd. murder. So if yeah. there's been something weird in the air, and there's been, I think, a collective grief and individual grief, and yeah. so if you're listening and you're feeling a little weird or a little off, like, slow down and check oh. in with yourself, like it's we have the like it's just been layers upon layers upon layers and if your heart or your spirit needs a break like there's take that break and take that breath and check in and do what you need to do to be to be okay absolutely absolutely yes thank you so very much for um reminding us of the significance of of this week specifically yesterday it was the three-year anniversary of george Floyd's murder and i was i was pleased to see a lot of commentary of people um acknowledging his life and um sending message of there's still a lot more work to do i think that a lot of us who are in this space um are keenly aware that while you know, his his life and, and his murder created this groundswell of support that we saw immediately after that now is waning. And there's lots of questions um, around if organizations that made all those commitments are really um, still committed because we haven't seen, in some regards, um, enough change and enough um, evidence of, of, that, of that commitment. So was that rhetoric? Um, is it the economy? What is it that is not leaning towards, you know, true evidence of that being realized three years later? And so, um, yes, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that to the conversation. One of the things that I posted yesterday was um, just a simple graphic with the words, take your knee off my neck. And I posted that because I, one of the most impressionable things that I experienced after George Floyd's murder was being in conversation with someone and um, they literally, you know, said, I don't want a handout. I want you to take your knee off my neck. And they were referring to, of course, just the racial, you know, um, inequities that people were experiencing. And I thought to myself, I was really triggered. I remember thinking to myself how frozen in time I felt because are we really using language like I want you to take your knee off my neck to to describe the pain of oppression that was that's so real for so many people and in that moment was fatal for George Floyd. And so anyway, I um I I thank you for giving us just a moment to reflect and and, and remember um George Floyd never forgotten, never forgotten. Okay, Tara, what's coming up for you right now? <laughs> I want to I jump just, into these like, questions. And by the way, we haven't addressed not one question on our on our kind of our, our prepared prompting yet. And that's, <laughs> and that's okay. totally just okay. Having, just that visceral feeling, like, um, can we just take a breath together? Yes, absolutely, we can. I want to invite all of you to take a <sighs> breath with us. Yes. Deep breath in. Deep breath out slowly, yeah. Breathing is so magical. It's actually one of the things that I've tried to be more cognizant about, especially as I've been working through strengthening the health um, of my mental state. And so thank you. Yeah. Deep breath in, deep um, breath out. And then what's up for me? Like, I love your book. Um, it's so pragmatic. It's easy to understand like it's so useful but the parts i'm curious about are this squiggle like and you mentioned unravel the knot can you tell me more about this and what what this well it's in our uh, virtual backgrounds too i'm curious what does it mean yeah oh well first thank you thank you for supporting by getting my book i that means a lot so thank you so much um so yeah, it was very intentional. You know, I talk in the book about um, unraveling the knot. So just imagine that um, part of the challenge 
that prevents people from really going all in in terms of their engagement um, and their championing and their you know active involvement in helping to move the needle forward around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is that it feels very daunting. They're intimidated by it. It's um, like, I don't know what to say, when to say, how to say it, you know, so I just kind of stay in my bubble and I don't want to make any mistakes and it just feels too complex. And so part of what I wanted to do, I love the fact that you use the word pragmatic because that was my goal. I wanted to, in a very practical way, help people to feel um, a sense of, 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 of agency and knowing that this is not about having it all figured out, but we do have to engage. And I think part of getting people to that place that have been maybe on the fence or sitting on the sidelines, really watching others do the work, um, is to help them to uncomplicate it in their minds, in their heads. But something is complex, resistance shows up. And I think that that is a sign of lack of clarity. And so I wanted to really break down these concepts and help people to find an entry point that they could um, stay the course with to help solve this work. And so for me, this is like unraveling the knot, the knot that binds humanity together. Yes, taking that big ball and just letting it unravel piece by piece, little by little. There you go. I'm loving all this little by little. And then hopefully as we do that, we're seeing that we are um, a bit smarter about it, a bit more knowledgeable, a bit more informed, a bit more em empath empathy that's that's showing forth in our leadership around it. And it it allows more people to be in the midst of this work instead of seeing it as, again, the responsibility of someone else. And so that is that is the story behind the, the squigglies. We're unraveling the knot. <laughs> yes. Okay. And I also love at the end, you've got these chapter summaries that are like, they're one page visual like it almost yeah. feels like um, graphic facilitation yeah. kind of style graphic yeah. recording. I meant like you're you're so intentional and deliberate about all the things that you do. Like, what? Tell me about that design and why. Um. So okay, I have to submit. This feels a little odd for me because I should be interviewing you, and I want you. I want people to know all the great things about you, but you're, you're giving You're giving me this space and this time, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna lean into it. I'm curious, <laughs> um, no, but I. I, you're so kind. I do appreciate that about, about you, Tara. That That's awesome. Uh, yes, one of the things I was very intentional about, again, and making sure this is seen as a tool, not just a book to be read from cover to cover and then placed on the shelf, not revisited again, but I wanted people to refer to it often. So at the end of each chapter, there are these critical reflection points where I help people through some you know, micro-learning activities to really process what they've read, what they've learned, how they feel about it, how they can apply it, right? And so as part of that, there's also um, like an infographic, if you will, or a picture graph that um, highlights all of the most salient points that were presented in that chapter. And interestingly enough, while it's in the book, we also have them as separate files that we have printed and they were a part of like the VIP packs. So people could kind of, they're like flashcards. They can put them on their desk, they can use them. And anyway, but um yeah, that is a that is a really unique part of the book that is one of my favorites, and that I'm hearing that a lot of people are gravitating to. So, thank you for asking those questions. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm so excited. I'm such a fan of yours. I was like, oh, I get to be in conversation with Dr. White. I'm gonna like. Oh no, you're so kind. So, uh, yeah, my phone just. Uh, went off and made points if you all were wondering what is that um but I want to talk about you we're getting we, we've spent almost now 35 minutes just talking about what's in the media what's happening in my book I want people to learn more about you and your work and what you do so tell us a little bit about your coaching and your consulting and the ways in which you specifically like to help guide individuals and organizations around really meaningfully creating the impact that this work requires and deserves and so talk about that, please. Okay. Um, as a consultant, I take a data-driven approach, mostly at a strategy and a systems level, working with executive teams to kind of figure out the why, the big picture, so that they can figure out what programs and things they need, they want to hang off of that. I dialed that back a little. I think my heart's tired and a little broken, and I can't have the conversation about the business case for diversity anymore oh, and yeah so that limits kind of really working with on the consulting side I am so excited about coaching um I'm working with individuals as a coach one-on-one -on -one, mostly women of color like almost all women of color to kind of be at choice 
to understand their values, what they're here to do in life, what they want to say yes and no to. I think overwork is a big issue, especially for women of color. And they're operating in these systems that are racist and sexist and homophobic and unfair. Um, So how do they want to be at choice? Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful walking beside someone as a coach, asking them powerful questions and pull out their wisdom. Like there's nothing broken about the people I'm working with. So there's nothing to fix. So it's a totally different mindset from being a consultant where I'm the subject matter expert. I'm brought in to help fix the problem as a coach. Like I get to be with people and help them like shine a light on things that need to be shining a light on and be with them and walk with them. And it's such an honor. Oh, I love that. I'm hearing a little bit of an empath coming out as you're talking about how much you really enjoy the one-to-one coaching experience. Um, I, I recall others that are, 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 are coaching that have been on our, our podcast before sharing that the difference for them, you, you refer to it as consulting versus like the one-to-one coaching. The difference for them is that you can more effectuate, more effectively effectuate change in a person when you're doing the, when this kind of coaching oriented relationship versus, you know, just broad, broadly um, consulting or training or, or that sort of thing. And so, and that resonated with me. And I thought I can very well see that because you're working one-to-one. It's not like you are, you know, having this universal message and then it's going to stick in some way and people are going to apply it, but you're helping walk shoulder to shoulder with those individuals as they're on this journey towards whatever um, endeavor that they are, they're hoping to accomplish. And so I, I love that for you. And specifically, I think that you're, um, you're working with a lot of women of color. Did I hear that correctly? I think I read that as part of your bio. Yeah. Um, the, or women of color are kind of who I primarily want to serve. And I think there's this idea, like coaching is a very white profession. Um, mm-hmm. there's an idea that anyone can coach anyone on anything. And yeah, I don't think that's true. There's also this belief in coaching, like who you're being informs what you're doing and who I am as a queer woman of color and the lived experience I have, like the DNA in myself. I walk through the world differently than a white person. And I think I can show up differently um, and more powerfully to serve women of color. But I also want to serve white leaders. Yeah. So you just said something that I think is so rich. Um, Who you're being informs what you're doing. I love that. I love that. I, I'm a I'm a big words person. And so I, I I'm always listening for um for phrases or words that really that really capture um um some some really important points that need to be amplified. And so I love that. And so oftentimes we're masking, we're not really being who we really want to be or who we really are, which means okay, are we are we really doing what we have been purposed and designed to do to the best of our ability? No, probably not. I would say absolutely not. So relevant to coaching, I remember one of the things that you posted recently, and I think we may have it. So I'm going to ask the team to actually share it into the chat. And I loved it. I reshared it. And so many others were just kind of commenting on it as well. And it was how in which you often advise and and, and coach those who you work with one-on-one to have a, a personal board of advisors, just like companies have board of directors. And you even had a tool that you leverage to help people identify how to go about that. So we're gonna place it into the chat, but I want you to talk and share with this with this community how impactful you have seen that tool to be and why that's even important. Cause I would imagine a lot of people don't even think about having a personal board of advisors. And they're probably thinking, well, who, where do I go? Who is appropriate to even ask? So share a little bit about that. Laura Hogan is another coach. Um, she did one, she calls it her manager Voltron. And it's also kind of a bingo style card. And I was inspired by her work and thinking about like the conversations I was having with my coaching clients around who they had in their corner um, or who they didn't have in their corner and strategically like who they needed to, to find. So it's like, who's someone who's going to validate my experience? Who's someone who routinely delegates stretch assignments? Like we know that women of color are over-mentored and under-sponsored. And sponsorship, yep. those stretch assignments that give you visibility and impact in, in, in the business are really important. And like, who's someone whose personal brand you admire or someone who has a high-performing, psychologically safe team? Like, so just thought of all of these things based on my experience, based on the research and based on my coaching clients and kind of put this together. Um, 
it's the resource that I needed when I was younger that I didn't have. Um, I think I overly relied on my manager to be all of those things for me. And Mm. in most cases, my manager was none of those things. (laughs) So thinking about where, where our agency is and what, where we're at choice, it's like, your manager might not be an awesome manager or might not be an awesome manager for you. And you can still build your board of directors and move your career how you want to go. Like it's your career. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I love that. And I will say that I'm keenly aware that um, many of the women that you've coached, they have left excellent reviews on their their relationship with you and how you've really been such great support and help. And I think that speaks directly to your leadership, how you like to show up, um, that empath that I'm sensing that you have. Um, so what values do you align with as, as a leader? Ooh, I think values are so important. Um, when we make decisions that are aligned with our values, we feel fulfilled, we feel on purpose, we feel like in flow. And when we make decisions that dishonor our values, we get tired, angry, yeah, start to burn out or we do burn out. So I think values are everything. So some of my values are integrity, which for me means walking my talk. Um, One of them, and values don't need to make sense to anyone else. So one of mine is Shupachinko, which is what the train conductor says in Japan when the train's ready to go. Uh-huh. Like, it's kind of like all aboard. Okay. And for me, that's about taking ideas into action. Like mm. we can think about things, but if you're not gonna do anything about it, yeah, did it really happen? Like outside of yeah. academia, probably not really. So both for me and for my clients, it's like when I hear something that's important or if I know something's important for me, like, what action am I going to take about that? Um, yeah. So those are two of mine. What about you? Um, so, you know, sometimes this can be more of a, a toxic trait, uh, admittedly, but it also has served me well. And so it's about balance. But I will say that it is, I am a person that that I, I don't like to talk about it. I like to be about it. I like to do it. So mm-hmm. once I am like set on something needs to be done, I move fast. I do. I'm like, we got to go. We got to go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And, and sometimes, you know, keeping up with that pace that I may set can be, um, can be a little intimidating or, or challenging for others that may not operate with um, that same level of, of speed. And so um, but yeah, like you, I think that <laughs> I know, I'm like, this Come is too on. important. We, we can't waste time. We got to figure this out. We got to do it now, you know? And so it, it is a balance. It's a delicate balance, but, um, yeah, I've never been asked that question before. So it's, it, it feels good to just socialize it. You know, they, they often say that you need to kind of put it out there because then it helps you to be even more mindful of it. And then it, because others can kind of also help be accountability partners around, you know, where you really want to try to um, not not let whatever those characteristics are or or, or behaviors um, to, you know, yield any type of um, un- unhealthy situations for others. And so- um, Can I share a quick a tip about bit. values? Yes, please. Absolutely, so you can. You can think that like, you can discover your own values. You can look at a list. Like there's lots of different ways to get there. One of them is to think about like, when do I feel like like really on purpose, I'm having a peak experience in my life. But the way I like to think about it is like when something's pissing me off Um, or when people are complaining to me, like friends, they they get this now. I'm like, what value of yours is being stepped on right now? So those moments where it's like, oh no, this is like not good. That's so good, Tara. The the opportunity there is to to discover or name one of your values. Um, So I'd encourage you in the chat as well, like curious like what one of your values is and when you know it's being stepped on like it makes it clear what you need to do next that is so good that is so good I never thought about it in that in that way so you're giving me perspective um that I think is helping me to learn a bit more about myself you're right I think that if in those moments we have such a visceral reaction towards something we need to unpack that and one of the ways to do so yeah it's to connect it to a value yeah so the time that this happened for me, someone really lowballed me and they're like, can you do this talk at our like global tech company that has more than a hundred thousand people That's happening a lot. Can yeah. Can unfortunately, you do it for $125. And I was just like, are you kidding me? 
And that's actually one of my values as well. And it's around knowing my worth, yeah. knowing my value, and also honoring other people's worth and value. Like, yeah. So when that happens, I'm like, oh. So I had a I have a series on LinkedIn where it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like where I tell these stories mostly about me getting mobiled or people making audacious requests. All time. I know. This is problem. Free. It's a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah, for free. Um, yeah, no, no picking of the brains. Um, no, um, no, can you speak for free? Yeah, no, no, no. it doesn't that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, it dishonors so my values. Yeah, yeah, know your worth. And I think I think knowing your worth helps us to to really be steadfast in our our and firm in our position around when to say no. And and something else that I'm learning is I don't think it's just enough now to say no. I think we need to say no and then educate why, because hopefully doing so helps to minimize the propensity for those asked to be even presented to others, you know, because yeah, it needs to be a full stop no. Um, okay, so we have like 10 minutes left, and I can't believe that because we have not even scratched the surface of the questions, but that's okay because I feel that's like this fine. has been so rich, it's been fluid, and that's how I love it. Um, but we do have a member of our community that has a question. And so, um, Tracy, I'm going to spotlight you and invite you to unmute yourself and to share. Thank you for being here. Thank you, and I'm enjoying the conversation. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, I was in an awesome uh, webinar yesterday, and the person said, uh, we, we need to be very careful in using words that don't create uh, automatic resistance or trigger for people in this work. So like, don't be so wedded to terms like diversity, inclusion, but you can use leadership terms or concepts that convey the same principles without you know creating the backlash so i'm curious how you feel about that because i do feel there's a trend to get so far away from the words diversity inclusion accessibility etc that we I'm, I'm concerned that they won't have meaning anymore so yeah wanted to hear your thoughts about it it's a great question go for it tara yeah that's that's something that's really happening isn't it <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I was talking to someone who's worked in this space for about 20 years and she's like, there's kind of these ebbs and flows that happen and we're definitely kind of in getting to a, we're not at a, a point where diversity, equity, inclusion and accessibility where it's front and center, where it's well resourced, where we're willing to have those conversations. So I think it's a, it's a tactic for sure to be like, let's talk about leadership, let's talk about inclusive leadership and high performing teams. Like that's a, a, a kind of a sneaky way to do it when there's less of an appetite. But for me, that discomfort is important. Like yes. if we can't even say these words with people having discomfort, it's like, I'm willing to take a pause, let's take a breath. Let's check what's going on in our bodies because when we run over that as well, like we're not in a place to learn, but not really willing to, we can't shift the thing altogether. It's like, like taking a math class and being like numbers are scary so we're not going to talk about numbers and it's like but this is a math class <laughs> yeah that's a great analogy we're in a math class but we can't talk about numbers yeah um i am with you i think that the avoidance of discomfort is is a problem and and i feel that when it is broached that it's a preference to not use certain words that's kind of, you know, found, found its way into this broad space and work of DEIB, A for accessibility as well. Um, we have to interrogate that and we have to ask questions like why? I think understanding why opens up a dialogue to where if the person feels safe to really be honest, they probably also will conclude that, mm, well, maybe that's not enough of a reason to warrant us not using the language. Because let's think about this too. When diversity, equity, and inclusion first came on the scene, and originally it was diversity and inclusion, it was because we were trying to address the racial disparities, the racial inequities. And so, and I realize now that diversity just in this, in this general form means a lot of different things, but it cannot negate the, the impetus for where it started. And so sometimes when you dig further and you get people to explain why they don't want to use certain words, 
it does end up revealing itself that it's because people are uncomfortable with, you know, the race, having conversations around race. And um, and I think that's a challenge because we have to hit that head on. Um, now, I will say this too. I am one of those practitioners to where I also believe that in this craft, in this space, in this field, we have to be creative. We have to be strategic as we are driving towards the outcomes and the impact that we want to have. And so that's not to say that I have not found myself and that I discourage people from finding other ways to create that entry point for people to engage in the conversation. So for example, there have been some times to where I knew that that language was really triggering for people that needed to be influenced to be able to move the ball down the court, right? No, no pun intended for the playoffs that are happening right now. But, um, and so part of providing that entry point was maybe using language like, um, you know, the valuing and um, of, of human difference, the valuing of human difference, right? All types of human difference, you know? Um, I know that right now there are a lot of organizations that are very intentionally making the decision to um, use belonging as how in which they talk about this broad body of work. And because, you know, for some, it feels a little softer. But again, I think we have to interrogate that because if it's if it's because we're trying to have certain people to feel comfortable and to appease their feelings, then I think that that's misplaced judgment. Because again, if we're doing this work, we should be doing it to center the most marginalized. And it doesn't mean that not others can gain value from it, but we have to be centering the most marginalized. And so, yeah, it's a great, great question, Tracy. Um, so thank you for, for bringing that to today's discussion. And then if we're talking about diversity of thought, but we can't talk about racism, like. Right. It's like, wh what right. are we not saying? And right. what's not being said? Like, yeah. there's kind yeah. of an, another layer of conversation that has to yeah. happen to kind of pull back and be like, yeah, why are we, why did we spend the last 15 minutes talk, talking about diversity of thought or ideas and we haven't talked about racism? Yeah, I think what's, it's what's going band. on here. It's about yeah. that. Yeah, when people lead with diversity of thought and that is where they hang their hat, um, I, I tend to call them on it, you know, because I feel like oftentimes, at least from my experience, when organizations have made that very distinct decision that we're going to make this all about diversity of thought and not address the other dimensions of diversity, especially those that directly impact the most marginalized communities, then that is a symptom of a bigger problem and a bigger issue. And it is often wrapped as avoidance because that's what it is. We're really avoiding the main issue. I believe that part of what our role is as practitioners in this space is to help us to help people to want to get to the crux of the matter, peel back all those later layers, identify the root causes of issues that's compromising diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, and solve for it there. And because if we don't, what we're going to end up with is a whole bunch of like surface solutions that are just going to find itself in this vicious cycle. And we're seeing it now, right? We're seeing it now. And um, and that's what I want to try to avoid. So that's why I think that for me, always think about let's interrogate this. Let's break this down. Let's get to the why behind it. And the why can then inform, okay, how do what's our path forward plan now? So um, I don't know, we may have time for another question. So if anyone in the audience has a question or a comment that you would like to quickly um, share to this community, I wanna give you a chance to do that. Again, you can use the raise hand feature or place it into the chat. Um, and let's see, Tracy, I'm seeing your comments. That's when we fall back into performative works. Absolutely. And, and that's a lot of the criticism that we're hearing right now, especially around post George Floyd, when so many organizations made many commitments, um, it was really rhetoric, it was really just performative in nature, because a lot of, of those um, commitments are not have not been realized three years later, or even like attempted to be realized. And so that that's, that's challenging. Okay, so I'm not seeing any hands raised. And so we have about three minutes left. And I would love for you, Tara, to give us a bit more information about um, how people can connect with you. Like who, who is your clientele? We know women of color. We know that it's women who are really looking to have that one-to-one -one individualized coaching kind of partnership. But what else would you say 
that would help people to understand, okay, this, this relates to me. I definitely need to be reaching out to Tara. The other group I, I want to serve are white executive leaders. So much yeah. like with the graphics here about unraveling, yep. I think a lot of people in their heads know what to do. Like, yeah. And when people, especially executive leaders say, I, I just don't know what to do. It's like, let's stop and have a breath there. Like, yeah, you do, yeah. you do know. Like, yeah, you do know, you know, you know, lots of things like you do know, yeah. but like what's going on in your body that has you scared or afraid, mm -hmm. like that you're going to mess up. So like, yeah, I want to partner with leaders like that, who care about DEI, who care about standing for inclusion, but are still scared and on the fence. Yeah. So if yeah. you're an HR leader or an HRBP and you work with someone like that, connect with me because I, I want to serve your leaders to help them move forward and to help kind of unravel that fear in their body and to move to action. Move to action. That's right. Move to action. So we have shared your website as well as your LinkedIn information. I do encourage each of you to follow um, Tara. And um, I want you to close us out by sharing just a little bit of information because it builds on what you just talked about your workshop called Dear White Leaders. It's actually a one-on-one -on -one coaching offering. So it's called Dear White Leaders, uh -huh. Stop Shitting Your Pants. Mm. And I realize the name is really bold. If you read the website copy, mm -hmm. it's it's not so cussing, um, but it's about that kind of partnership with executive leaders who impact the whole organization yeah. to really connect with their why to have an external accountability partner who's going to be like a loving hug and a kick in the ass to move forward and move to action. Um, I totally get all of the responsibility and the stress and like the fear. And once you've opened your eyes in the last couple of years, maybe it's like a reawakening or the first time you've seen this, you can't unsee these and equi equitable systems and these racist systems. So if you want to move forward, like get in touch. Like those are the people I also want to serve. I love it. I love it. This is been and such so a great full transparency. No one signed up for my offering. So I had a gigantic fail in that. So I'm also trying to figure out like, how do I communicate this in a way that lands? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, so we, we, we fell forward and that's what I like about the lessons Woo! behind. Yes, we, we fell forward. And so we're going to try, try, try again, because I love the premise of it. And I do think that there's a ton of people that need to be signing up for it and need to be engaged in those conversations. And so, um, I love it. Thank you so much, Tara, for being here with us today. Thank you. Yes, and thanks absolutely. everyone for coming. Yes, yes. Everyone have a great and safe Memorial Day weekend. And we'll see you back here again next Friday for Intentional Conversations um, podcast. Thank you all so much. Thanks. Bye.